Welcome to Whiskey Talk, Malts and Music, brought to you by the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, here in the vaults in Leith. My name is Rick Galloway, I'm a broadcaster, author, musician and music journalist, and the idea of this podcast is to bring together single cask, cask strength whiskies and music. I ask creative people to pair up four drams with four pieces of music, we discuss their selections and we go off on tangents into their lives and careers. I hope you enjoy. Slanjava. Olaf Furness, welcome to Whiskey Talk Malts and Music. Good to have you. Good to be here. Um, I, you, I know that you are a mad music fan and you work in the music industry and also you know a lot about whiskey and you love it. We're going to cover all of that and loads more over four drams. We've got our dram team, um, Scotch Malt Whiskey Society packs here. Let's open them. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, can I open it now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, there's a nice wee envelope in it as well. Yes, indeed. With our tasting notes. And yeah, four drams. Four pieces of music, uh, a little bit of an explanation as to why you've chosen each piece of music, and then, yeah, a little bit about your life and career and your love of, of uh, whiskey and music. Let's go for our first dram, which is a fruity prescription, um, and it is part of the spicy and sweet flavour profile okay. group. Okay, so Let's get that in. Lovely. You know, this room is actually the first place I ever visited at the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. I think in 1993, I came for a tasting and there was a, a sort of portly, good-natured guy with a bow tie that um, gave us the most amazing whiskey talk. And as a result of that, I joined. So that was, that you came in 94 and you joined in 95, basically? I think I, jo- I came in 93 and joined in 94. And you've been a member ever since? Yes. So you are, you've got to be one of the first people to really join the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society. Yeah, I guess in the first few thousand. I mean, the thing was, is that I was all, kept forgetting to renew my membership. So they wouldn't make me pay a renew, uh, a brand new membership, but they'd give me another number of different cards. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I featured it in my a magazine. I was a features editor. It was a, like an internet it was all about the internet. It was published by the first chain of internet cafes um, called Siberia. And I basically just wrote about anything I wanted to, but just found a, some sort of spurious internet angle to mention in it. And <laughs> so I did something in 1996 about the Malt Whiskey Society. And the guy who's sadly passed away, actually, who is manager here, he, um, he did an interview and we sent a photographer along and then we kind of in the early days of Photoshop made his face a little bit green and gave it a bit of a green hue to sort of make out he drunk too much whiskey. But it was my way of kind of getting in a in a plug for whiskey even back even back then. But I guess at that point when I joined they were still closing distilleries. Mm. Um, they were um, you know at that point, they were scared that whiskey drinkers were going to die out. So, um, well, there's been a huge turnaround in that. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, all how times have changed. You know, we can talk a bit about that yeah. as well. And memberships going up year on year. It seems to be something that's really grabbing people's attention. Um, and hopefully, talking a little bit about these malts and uh, some music will will inspire people even further. Let's have a, yeah, a sniff of the first one. So. This is a fruity prescription, spicy and sweet. A couple of the tasting notes. The initial nose was ridden with creamy vanilla custard and ripe yellow fruits. Lots of plums, mushy banana, sultanas, 
fresh parsley and citrus curds. Some pineapple chunks duked in fizzy sherbet. With water, we found pine cones and wood saps along with mossy tree bark, quince jelly and dry papaya. There you go. I mean, that's, that's a, a fruity prescription in words. The nose is amazing, isn't it? And particularly fruity. You know what I love as well is that this is, I mean, how strong it's, because uh, they're all cask strength, so you... but what 55.3%. Yeah, but, you know, you can drink a regular whiskey from the shops, you know, at 40%, and it's, it's smoother than that. Oh, yeah, know? yeah. It's, well, let's, uh, have a, let's have a sip. Mm. And this is a, a lowland whiskey as well. Very, very easy. To drink yeah, 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 and smooth, and as you say, maybe ten or more percent stronger than something you might buy in a shop, but as you know, smooth as anything on the tongue, and, and in the back of old, the, the you know? throat as well. I mean, there's, it's got a very small kick, but you know, I think what's powerful. interesting is is that it's it has um, it's really it's got loads of flavour, but it dissipates really quickly. So it's kind of you've got it, and then it's sort of gone you know how some not just the PE whiskies but some whiskies the the taste lingers for a long time you get that kind of ongoing taste you know mm -hmm. 10 minutes later you still got the the memory of it whereas you know some some whiskies it's more of a like immediate impact you're like yeah mm, great yeah. and then whoosh it off it's off it goes you now know? you you got particular taste in whiskey I mean I'm much like myself I'm sure you'll give any of the single cast cast strength stuff a go and enjoy it but you particularly like sort of far more flavoursome peaty whiskies don't you that's your particular well thing. yeah my my f first the first whiskey other than blends and we'll come to that in a bit but um you know i the first malt whiskey that i really liked was lefroig mm -hmm. and i was like this is amazing because it doesn't taste like the stuff that i drank and threw up on right um, right okay. as a teenager i mean i think i first tried lefroig when i was 19 and it was like a revelation to me yeah um so i've always had a real soft spot for pe ones but then i also uh, generally like sherry whiskies unfortunately so do lots of other people and sherry casks are in short supply so um i've heard means, that yeah yeah i mean you know I, I believe that mccallan actually bought their own sherry casks and essentially rent them out to the sherry industry so they've got a guaranteed supply but it's these sherry can reuse their casks whereas bourbon they're only able to use them once so with bourbon they're they're almost like a byproduct you get them for a fraction of the price but mm. as demand for sherry whiskies has gone up so as um, or sherry casks so is the price so you know that's become more of a luxury in my you know in my adult life than mm. it used to be um but i think that i also have a sort of punch up for kind of quite weird or unusual whiskies um i you know where it's got a flavor that i've not experienced before i like the oiliness i like ones that have got a real sort of oiliness about them and um Some, something you know. with extreme flavor basically yeah something, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like i mean i like a lot of extreme music as yeah, well yeah. I, I, you know like yourself you know yes. so i mean I, I, there's plenty of sort of accessible music and i think most of this will be but i like you know. life with a bit of flavor you know yeah, I, yeah. I want to adventure in life i want things that taste good and sound good and are interesting to read or watch or whatever so i'm, I'm with you on that but this i mean it's 
fully flavoursome, but it's also very smooth. It's very palatable and easy to drink. What have you paired this one up with then, musically? I've paired this up with the Soup Dragon's Whole Wide World. Now, when I was in my mid-teens, there used to be a guy on Radio 4th called Colin Somerville, who was a newsreader, and he went on to become the head of programming, but he was a newsreader at the time. And they gave him his own radio show, which I think went from 10 p.m. till midnight. And um, he just used to play loads of Scottish bands. And I was so inspired by what Colin was playing that I started my own fanzine. And I um, I went to the local branch of Rough Trade, which is called Fast Forward. It's in a basement in Alva Street in Edinburgh. And the owner now owns Love Music Record Shop in Glasgow. And I that whole period was all these kind of indie bands but the the soup dragons were um they they were really they had like a kind of bit more humor around them as well and well, they're called the soup dragons yes exactly like in the after, clangers yeah, yeah named after a character in the clangers <laughs> and so i i picked this one because it's you know for me that you know i was a bit too young to have being able to see the buzzcocks and you know who they were obviously inspired by at that mm-hmm. point and i um there's a whiskey connection to this as well so i i kind of colin show inspired me to do a fanzine sandy from fast forward gave me lots of records i bought the soup dragons and um this song is really short it's under two minutes mm. so i f- thought it matches really well to this whiskey because you've got the You've got the impact, it's great, and then it's gone. Well, as you were saying, yeah, the, t- the taste uh, is there, it's fully flavoursome, and then, yes, it disappears quite quickly. It's not sort of lingering. And a, a one-and-a-half-minute song by the Soup Dragons, um, Whole Wide World, released in 1986, maybe the pinnacle of C86, you know, that kind yes, of indie yes. sound at the time. And, and yeah, a, a legendary Scottish band, one of the Bells Hill bands alongside... You know, the Vaselines and the BMX Bandits and later Teenage Fan Club and so on. Their biggest hit, which I'm sure people who aren't, maybe don't know this particular song, is I'm Free, cover of The Stones, yeah. uh, which was a massive hit. It was top top five in the UK and it was, uh, I think it did well in the States. And then they had some other hits over in the States as well. So they're an international band, but they did start in Bells Hill making this kind uh, of I love pop. this. And you know, the thing was is that I've still never seen them live because... When I was 17, my friend Dougie, um, he, let's say, he acquired a bottle of Bells, right? Um, <laughs> which he's, you know, from uh, free of charge, um, although the owners, I don't think, realize this. And it was a big bottle. Um, and we, we took the bus through to Glasgow to go and see the Soup Dragons in the QM. But we started mixing uh, the whiskey with lemonade on the coach uh, through and... Then took somehow got it into the Queen Margaret Union. Carried on there. I remember the support band called the Cataran because they were friends of mine. Oh, I was yes, the only yes. person dancing. And then the next thing, I put my head up. I was lying on a some sort of bench in the Union, and I was like, well, Dougie came over. I was like, Where? Are, when are the Soup Dragons on? And he's like, They've played. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I missed it. I basically passed out. I, um, you know, at some point I'd kind of raised myself up enough to throw up and then lie down again and so this uh, is a, te- a tale of teenage woe with yeah uh, with, with whiskey and with it was like so i never touched whiskey until that lefroy epiphany and that's why because i was like oh 
doesn't taste like whiskey, right? Yeah. I love this. And gradually over the years, you know, I kind of start to move back. I think it's, it's funny because obviously I've, I've asked lots of people to be on the podcast and lots of people have said yes and there'll be more people to say, saying yes as well. But a few people have said absolutely no, I can't touch whiskey. And it's usually because an experience pretty much like that. Um, obviously... You know, that doesn't happen to everyone, but some people abuse alcohol in the silliest ways, and whiskey can come into that, especially a sort of bells or grouse at that age. Yeah, well, I had a grouse experience when I was 13, but I'll not go into that. But okay. it, did, it did result in blocking a but sink. This, I mean, this, this is like a different, it's, a, it's like well, a different of course it is. drink altogether. This is it? what I was trying to explain to people because, you know, I'm also one of the. I guess about three or four hundred members of the Scottish Tourist Guides Association. People are like, I don't like whiskey. I had a really bad experience, and I'm like, no, you've just not had tried the, the whiskey stuff. that you like yet. And it's the same with tequila. I mean, I spent a lot of time in Mexico, and I love tequila and mezcal. But everyone's had like a bad experience, or everyone's had a bad experience with that Sierra one. It's got like a cap that looks like a plastic sombrero. It's disgusting. It's like <laughs> petrol, right? And the thing is, is that. What people don't realize is that much like whiskey, you can actually draw a parallel between tequila and whiskey where, you know, certain sort of cheap tequilas are like blends and then the 100% agave um, is like a malt, the equivalent of a malt. And the reposados like or añeco, you know, they're the ones that have matured in the same way that a, a malt does as well. And, you know, so again, I've had, I've had people coming around my house going, oh, I can't drink, I can't drink tequila. And I was like try this one and they're like oh I really like that it doesn't yeah. taste like tequila and it's like no it doesn't taste like the rotten stuff you you drank when you're 15 and slammed mm. you know yeah yeah my brother's one of those people who can't drink tequila uh, but I'm pretty sure if we had a, a really you know high end uh, nicely matured one he'd give that a shot and probably change his mind I've got some soup dragon stories. I did see them. I didn't pass out. I saw them. Oh, you Lola. lucky man. I saw them at the um, uh, Carlton Studios, which sadly is no longer with us. Uh, turned into, you know, luxury flats, no doubt. Um, but a, a, a legendary venue in Edinburgh where I saw Nirvana and Ride and Smashing Pumpkins and Fugazi. Oh, yeah, and I saw Mudhoney in there. Yeah. A guy that basically jumped from about three me a three meter stack of speakers into the in the audience. It was mental. <laughs> yeah. Well, I saw the Soup Dragons in there. Um, I weirdly enough bought this single, Whole Wide World, which you. Uh, chosen to pair with this whiskey on 45 7-inch vinyl. I was walking past a shop in Edinburgh called Elvis Shakespeare, quite near my house, saw it in the window, went in, bought it literally about a week ago, and it's a great little single. And my final Soup Dragons connection, uh, one of my producers at the BBC who does my radio show is the bass player, Sushio uh, K. Dade, who's also future pilot, a.k.a. He produces me. So Sushil, the bass player in the Soup Dragons, is my producer. Uh, it's, it's amazing how these Isn't things come back. You know, I, I, I was in Tenerife on holiday a few years ago, and one of my mates sent me a, a message. I hadn't heard from him for a while, and he was like, check this out. It's, and it was like Hi-Fi Sean with um, Crystal Waters. And he was like, this is amazing. It's, it's Sean from the Soup Dragons. So I listened to it and I was like, God, this is mental. When Crystal Waters had her hit was the last time I'd been in Tenerife, which was like decades earlier. So I just messaged him on Twitter and he actually sent me a really nice reply. Um, for, you know, a long time I get trying to get him up to Edinburgh. I'd come and do one of our events. And then, you know, one of the benefits of the pandemic was that I was able to do the interview with him um, 
online because that was the only way to do it anyway right um he's such a nice man and he's doing you know he's still making amazing music but he's he's become like a basically like a dance house music dj mm-hmm. and you know when I, he sells all his stuff online so you know i bought one of his rare sort of limited edition vinyls and just sort of sent him a picture of whole whole wide world and then the you know the oh, one cool. that you've just done you know and actually that's if you're interested in if anyone's interested in that is on our um i think it's on our born to be wide facebook so well we'll talk about yeah. born to be wide in a second um how are you getting on with that whiskey should we go for a yeah let's go for the next one. i'm gonna try and pace myself because i am conscious that i might want i don't want to operate any heavy machinery after this there'll be but, no machi- heavy machinery operated <laughs> in this and i don't uh, have a car so there's no worry about that so is this the coconut one yeah we're gonna go for coconut um uh, which is a grain whiskey rather than a malt and it's um again a lowland whiskey it's on the sweet fruity and mellow uh flavor profile it's called coconut i'm gonna yeah, let's get some of that you, nice do you ever have that thing there. where you read something and you, you kind of you're actually reading something wrong but you know i kept looking at this and thinking it said the co-op <laughs> Oh, I see what you mean. They yeah. kind of put a sort of hyphen between the the cocoa. cocoa yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So let's do some tasting notes here very quickly. Nosing neat three C's came to mind: Caribbean, Calypso, and coconut. Desiccated, toasted ice cream and suntan lotion. Uh, chewy heat on the palate. Neat. Have you ever had grilled black pepper banana on sugared rum toast? With water, oak made a cameo appearance in the form of pencil shavings and pine forests before menthol orange chocolates, banana chips, and chocolate-coated peanuts took center stage. I just love all those things. Do you? Oh, I, you know what? I've always find them slightly annoying. Oh, really? Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've, I've listened to quite a few of the, by, uh, the previous guests that you've had on, and everyone's, oh, yeah, these are great. And I actually, you know... The best descriptions of whiskey uh, come from my girlfriend, Yannicka, who's Swedish, and she doesn't really drink whiskey. I mean, she'll try it, but um, she doesn't really drink whiskey, but she she has the perfect, she's got this uncanny ability to sum it out up with really, really well, but without... With, and uh, uh, just her she'll, flick, she'll smell it, and then she'll, she'll nose it, and then she'll t- actually taste it a little bit. And one night when we'd finished everything else, when we first started going out, we partied quite a lot. And I basically lined up five different whiskeys for a try, starting with the best whiskey that I'd, I've ever drunk in my life, which was from the Society. I got the last two bottles and um, like a super PER bag. I, th- I mean, I wrote down the number. In fact, if anyone's got one, I'll, buy, I'll give you a good price for it. <laughs> 33.74. And I thought that would scare her off, but it was the opposite. She was like, oh, yeah, that was our favorite, bizarrely. But, mm. um, yeah, the, um, but I think the thing with this is that, you know, the descriptions, I tend to look at what the cask is, what the region is, and how old it is. And um, also um, just, you know, things like whether it's a refill cask or, you know, mm-hmm. what kind of cask it is. So generally to me, that that's what kind of, you know that's what will attract my attention um but the staff here often if you tell them what you what you want or what kind of direction you're going in the 
you know, if you if you get one of the ones that are really on well, it, you're 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 far more knowledgeable about whiskey um, than I am, and than, than the vast majority of people I know, to be quite frank. Um, but I am really indebted to the staff here because if I come in for an evening, I quite often come and meet someone socially here, or I might even have a little work meeting here at the vaults in Leith, and um, you know, I might I'm sort of oh, can you can you guide me through you know this dram this dram this dram and this dram or I'm looking for something that yeah, has yeah. these kind of flavours and they're always spot on I think you might like this it's and so it- nice isn't it you feel really sort of you know that was the other thing when I joined right I was young I was probably the you know the youngest member at least that when I came in I always seemed to be the youngest and you know bring in a couple of my pals as guests and you know a couple of whom ended up joining too but that was always the thing you never felt you were in a stuffy space you know the you never felt that you weren't allowed to be here you know anyone was able to join and you know when I was in London when I worked in London everyone was paying a fortune to you know am I allowed to swear uh, well, maybe, all right, let's I'll show. keep it, yeah, I'll yeah, keep yeah, it family, swear. right? Okay, but you know, it begins with W and it was like <laughs> uh, and ends in Y, right? And the thing is, is that it you know, everyone is in the member of these clubs and they pay a fortune to sort of like get bad service and um, you know, just so they could drink for an extra hour or something. And because I was a member of the you know, the site, there was a tasting room in London, and I'd, I'd be like, all right. Come to my, uh, come to the whiskey society with me. I'll, I'll take you there. Come and drink a nice whiskey, you know. And it was like, it was so much nicer than you know these kind of private member clubs and so. But that's because you didn't have to be nominated or any of that. No, well, I always, I always thought it would be very smart, and there'd be people in shirts and ties and tweed jackets and so on and so on. And of course, there are people like that. But you also get people fairly casually dressed. It's not. It doesn't. You don't feel like you're. You're. You've got to be. Uh, you know, sort of suited and booted. But and there was, up. I don't know if it's still in place. It's, I don't think it is in Queen Street, but I'm pretty sure it still is here. I'm sorry, uh, I'm going in for this. Yeah, uh, yeah, whiskey. guy, I'm guy, I've been there. I'm but it's like, you, you know, you weren't allowed laptops or mobiles, and it was just so liberating going in somewhere mm. where, you know, you've not got someone having a chat and on the speakerphone and all that nonsense. That, yeah, no. This is nice, isn't it? It is nice, and I, I wouldn't normally go for a, a grain whiskey. And I actually, when I was in the society uh, a week ago, I had a, a really peaty grained whiskey, and it was good, but it was it was very tasty, but it was quite harsh as well in comparison to some other peated ones that I was, well, I was trying. But what fascinates this isn't me. harsh at all. This is a you know. What well, what fascinates me with this right is the what kind of grain it is. You know, is it rye or maize or wheat? Or it won't be rye because it will. Ha- it would have a an R. Oh, does it? Right. Okay. It, uh, yeah. this is, but so this is a G ten, isn't it? But I think what this really illustrates is that you know those. Um, you know, sometimes barley could come as far away as France, right? I mean, yeah. like a lot of distilleries like to make guys locally sourced and stuff. And it's like, well, I want, you know, this, when you visit distilleries, you can kind of start getting those little bits of snippets of information like that, you know, um, well, actually some of that barley comes from as far away as France, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could, we don't have enough barley in the area to, to be able to produce this amount of whiskey, but so you know the barley I don't know to what extent really makes a difference obviously how it's malted does because then you get the peatiness or non-peat or whatever but the um, the thing with this is that obviously the casks and the how long it's been aged is what's really having the influence on this right Um, and this is what I really like about this because to me this is I actually prefer the taste of this to the previous one 
And oh, it's do not, you? Yeah, do you? yeah. It's, it's, it's not a second Phil Hogshead uh, cask this one. And again, as I say, a lowland whiskey. But wouldn't you agree, or maybe it's just my my um, palate, with as you were saying about the fruity prescription, the last one, it, it's kind of really flavoursome and then it's gone. This one lingers, it stays in your mouth. I've, I've, I've had a, a sip or two. And it's still there. It's it's completely zinging the whole it inside does, of my mouth. It does, but not for that much longer. Give it a little bit more. It's not, you know, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm a bit of a sort of, you know, in some things I'm a bit of an extremist when it comes to whiskies, right? So, you know, something's lingering on or it's got something that takes, you know, it stays there for longer. I thought this, it stays a little bit longer. I kind of, I really like the taste. I like the roundedness, but... Again, this one for me kind of went pretty quickly. Mm. Um, no, I've, I've just had another sip. I disagree. <laughs> but that's the thing, though. We agree to disagree. You know, but this stuff. is what's really interesting because it's so personalized. Yeah. I, I remember doing a whiskey tasting up in the Queen Street, and the, the, there's this amazing little room. It's round. Mm. And um, the, it's a guiding colleague of mine, Susie Weigart, who's also on the jury of the society. Um, and I mean, her, you know. I think there's about 30 of them and they, they kind of nose and choose which casks they're going to take for that month and stuff, right? Mm. She did this whiskey tasting with us and I was having this, we talked about where it was hitting us on our palate, right? And I was with two German guys and they were having it in a different, they had a totally different taste. I've got it right at the front of my mouth and the roof of my mouth and right. not at all at the back. Right, that's interesting because I have got it at the back, you know, and mm. underneath, you know, it's... Yeah, well... Um, we're, you know, obviously the point of this podcast, apart from to talk extensively about the whiskey, is to talk about the music as well. What have you paired with this one? Then? Well, I've paired this with the Upsetters, Return of Django. Um, Classic. And, and there's a... Because it's... Again, I, I kind of equated it a bit with the whiskey. I mean, obviously there's all the Caribbean... Allude, you know, alludes to all these Caribbean references here. And I was like, right, well, perfect. You know, Lee Perry, basically. Yeah. Uh, you know, my first musical let's say phase in my life was two-tone right I absolutely loved ska right and you know and it used to I've had arguments in later in life with music journalist colleagues and people in music going dang you know uh, well there's no way for me to find out about other music it's all right you came from a city blah 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 and I'm like bollocks this stuff was on the radio it was the specials were number one in the charts you the, you had access to this so there's no excuse um for you listening to bad I think, music, I think, I think me, and certain men and women of of an age will completely agree to, with you, and m myself included. I mean, two tone and the, the kind of ska post punk revival, if you like, was massive. Madness, the selector, specials, the and beat. all the other, but the beat. I mean, incredible. And the the thing was, is that the, you know the beat were. I remember seeing the beat on some Saturday morning children's program performing Stand Down Margaret, right? It was yeah. like a song against Margaret Thatcher. And I'm like, this is incredible, right? So you, you got... And the producers must have been clued up. I and think, I, as a kid, I thought they were, yeah, this is fantastic, you know, because I was quite politically aware, even though I was a wee you know. And the thing was, is that Ska, I, I absolutely, you know, I love, right? And, and you know, obviously the two-tone was UK Ska, you know, or really pretty much, you know, around um, Coventry and London, right? But you're, the thing was that the um, Return of Django was a song when, when I was 18, I, I'd seen some TV programs about Berlin, as a, you know, when I was 15, 16, like on the tube, and I was like, I have to go there. So at 18, I went to 
Berlin with my then girlfriend and we rented a room in this flat the building was actually half the building was condemned but our sort of landlord who was renting the place he'd got a kind of skeleton key so he had his room was like the bigger one and um we rented the other room from him right and this is like i mean they started it was the only building left standing in the street right um because of all the bombing of that area of berlin I remember phoning him about the flat and about the room and the answering machine was playing Return of Django, right? And A reggae classic. And I love this song and I'm like, what is this? And, you know, now, I mean, I, I'm a big fan of, uh, I love Spotify, right? And, uh, you know, and I think anyone who moans about Spotify, they certainly have some, leg some legitimate grievances, but then moan about YouTube because the royalty is far worse on that and it's far less, um, it's far less transparent, right? But the thing is, is that um, I uh, now you can find stuff so easily, right? And that sense of discovery when, you know, in the past when you're like, I had no idea what this song was. I just kept hearing it whenever the answering is Vincent's answering machine was on and I was trying to find out about the room. And so you're already a sort of two-tone ska fan and then you're hearing this sort of ancient piece of um, classic yeah. reggae, rock steady, classic reggae from the late 60s on an answering machine and you had to track it down. And it was, yeah, and it was happy, you know. It yeah. just made, you know, I like listening to it. It was almost kind of like... I, kind of enjoyed it when he wasn't in although usually I was calling him because you know for something important before I actually moved in right but the thing was is that um it was a good couple of years before maybe even longer before I ever heard this song again right and I think I heard it on you know radio one in the evening or something it was like a completely random um you know, encounter yeah, you with the managed to search it out and get a copy. Yeah, find out who it was, and then I went. I've managed to track down. There used to be a place called the Oldie Muse Oldies Museum near the Haymarket in West Maitland Street, and they, they were a bit grumpy and stuff, you know. And I went in there, and it was like I got it on seven inch. Um, wow! Reissue. I hope you still got. That. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, absolutely. that'll be worth an absolute fortune. No, then. this is a reissue, so oh, it wasn't an right, original. Okay. Like, but I've got. Uh, but I mean, for me, the thing was is just this sense of triumph of like all oh, right here's that song that was on the answer well, that's uh, uh, without doing down streaming services and so on um there's something that you don't quite get the same buzz off if you can just at the like think of a tune type it into your search engine and it comes up within a split second uh, i disagree finding, finding a single or an album in a shop that you've been searching for for years and then the joy of finding that, I think that's I've special. got a story on streaming that basically is is the equivalent, but I could come back to that if we've got time later on. But I, I found a song that I've literally been looking for for 15 years. Yeah. And you found it on? I found it on Spotify. Oh, and, great. And like with a really weird sort of chain of events as well. And what we should say is to people listening or watching, uh, there is a playlist of all of the Maltzen music tracks that have been selected throughout the first series and ongoing we, we just keep adding to the playlist and it is hugely eclectic everyone's got different tastes in music of course and everyone tastes whiskey in a different way and pairs up the whiskey with music in a different way so if you're interested go and check out the full playlist because it's it's a brilliant listen to be honest um so yes uh, lee scratch perry's house band with the upsetters um this particular track is from an album of the same name return of django in 1969 it's a reggae classic i absolutely love it and of course the upsetters as well as providing lee perry with 
his house band they also backed up loads of like Bob Marley and the Whalers they, they were their backing band for loads of their early stuff in fact I think some of Bob Marley's best stuff so a, a wonderful piece of music and obviously it fed into your love of ska as well and sort of completed yeah. it and the, the whole thing with the description you know this is one where the description was appreciated because it kind of it, you know I, I'd obviously seen the prescriptions and it was it was quite sorry descriptions um, prescri- Freudian slip referring to the first one right yeah. uh, but the thing is is that it's quite a challenge sometimes making these pairings right because you you obviously sometimes want to just shoe on one of your favourite songs in there or something right and and I think with this it was like suddenly yes what's Caribbean what do I love what's got a what's got a memory for me what ties into you know the sort of things that I've I've you know I heard you and Nicola and Justin and stuff talking about you know well I I, I'd like to make a slight apology because I said it was from the sweet fruity and mellow flavor profile it isn't I'm absolutely wrong about that it's from the juicy oak and vanilla um Interesting profile, because which I when I initially paired all twelve flavor profiles with twelve music genres, I actually, if my memory serves me right, I paired with roots reggae. So even though Return of Django isn't quite roots, it's certainly reggae. So I, you and I are, are agreeing on that. Let's move on to dram number three. Um, yes, right. Okay, let me put my glasses on again so I can see. Okay, this is fruit alloy, right? Yes, that's right. Yes, let's go right. There's the bottle opening. Get some of that sound effect in there. And then a little bit of... <laughs> oh, there you go. Glug, glug, glug as it goes into the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society glass. Um, now, you've, you've mentioned events. Um, you know, for people who are listening, you don't know your, your life's work. You, you do all sorts of different things. You're a tour guide. You're a, a journalist and broadcaster. And you also run a music networking night in Edinburgh called Born to be Wide, which then went on to spawn a, uh, a music conference and festival called Wide Days. Uh, tell us a little bit about well, those things. What happens, I mean, I always had an interest in music. I mean, obsessively so. And, you know, but also how it worked. So the music industry fascinated me, you know, how people got paid, how the whole, how everything fit together. And interestingly enough, I mean, even... Uh, you know, everyone talks about NME as this sort of amazing thing. I always thought the NME was pretty so pretentious and shit, right? Mm. Um, I like smash hits. Um, uh-huh. And the thing with smash hits was that they, they would cover punk. They would cover how the music industry worked. And it had a real sense of humor that NME ostensibly lacked, right? And, and I think that this is the... I remember seeing something that was just like how the payment in the music industry was divided up in, in a Smash Hits article, you know? And I read about the Dead Kennedys in there, Killing Joke, who we went to see the other night. Yep. Um, you know, they described you two as vile Christian creatures, which then prompted this sort of deluge of enraged <laughs> messages from, um, from you two fans. But anyway, I had this real interest in how uh, music, the music industry worked, as uh, you know, I studied languages, but I um, edited my student paper, so I just got loads of free records. Went about three gigs a week, and um, you know, did various things. Um, but learned to be a tourist guide, just thrown into the deep end because my mum was a guide, and I um, 
I just started picking up tours from her, hence how I ended up here. I then started working as a, as a music industry journalist covering the music industry. And when that finished, I moved back to Scotland in... So where were you working in Germany at this point? I was point? working in London and in Germany. I had a stint in Germany for 15 months, which is where a friend of mine, Brody, came to visit me. And he was... We went to a night that was run by the head of... Presi- the president of Universal Music in Germany. And they would just invite people from the local scene to come and play their favorite records. So it could be someone from an indie label or a publisher or a promoter. And they'd just basically be invited to DJ and everyone would hang out. So Brody and I moved back to... And nicked the idea. <laughs> yeah, Brody was like, we should do this in Edinburgh. We always have to go through to Glasgow for every launch. Whenever there's something that brings together the music industry, it's always in Glasgow. We should nick this idea. And so in 2004, in the venue, you know, um, rest in peace. Yeah, one of the great, I, great places. I played the last ever record in the cooler, by the way. Um, and oh, wow. um, I'm still, that's one of my sort of proudest moments. And um, I, um, we launched a night called Born to Be Wide. And it was just from this, you know, night that Brody had had where some guy he was hanging out with his mate some guy gave him a flyer and the guy tore up his mate tore up the flyer and the guy was like are you being wide yeah and the guy was and you know Brody's mate sort of bottled it and was like no and he was like I think you are and that was it and we're just like right let's call it born to be wide that was Brody's idea and I think did I come to the first one you did yes it was upstairs at the venue you were there and uh, many years ago what year was that 2004 early 2004 right wow wow. that was um god we do it till 3 a.m and the idea was to do it fortnightly i mean eventually we we stopped doing that and the the one of the early ones there was a guy called john clark who was mates with franz ferdinand and he was he assured us that they had agreed to come and dj after the um after their show at the Liquid Room, and they never appeared. And um, basically, we sent John out with this Guatemalan friend of mine um, who wasn't didn't drink, so to try and find Franz Ferdinand, searching for the Mercury. Right yeah, time. yeah, yeah. But the thing was, is that that's how Born to Be White came together, and we started to really sort of, you know, we we started to sort of step up in terms of who are getting to come and guest DJ. I mean, so name give give us a few of your 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 big names who played or well, I mean, it was it was a lot of industry people initially, but so you know, pretty much everyone from DF Concerts. We you know had John Peel's producer and stuff, and then suddenly we were like, where it really turned a corner was like when the couple of guys from Teenage Fan Club came down and came through to do it. Weirdly, it's like we set this up as an Edinburgh night. A Glasgow Glasgow band who are more famous than anyone in Edinburgh were like, (laughs) so they did it. And then suddenly all these Edinburgh guys start sort of returning our calls. But we, you know, we had the one of the go-betweens, Grant from the go-betweens. And we had Pat Nevin, who's, you know, now does the best football um, program on the, you know, on, you know, anywhere really like um, world football um, on the world service. And, Pat came down and it turns out that him and Grant were sort of mutual fans. Um, so they had this kind of, you know, love. Actually, you've just given me an idea. Pat Nevin, if he likes whiskey, he, we should get him on the podcast. He doesn't he, drink. 
Oh, doesn't he? Right. Okay. Uh, no, nah, he doesn't. We, we could we could pretend. We could <laughs> apple juice. You could have him nose it. You yeah, know, yeah, like, like which is like the sort of professionals don't he's drink a, it either. He's a, he's a huge music fan. Though, he's he's a, he's a lovely guy as well. He's, he did it with Grant, and then we had uh, the head of MTV Europe, who I knew from my London days. Super nice guy. Um, he also doesn't drink, um, but he would he was grew up in New Zealand, and so. To get out of having to do his cadets at school, he basically um, joined the pipe band. So he's a mad piper. So, you know, it's, it's incredible. Because we, we gave people carte blanche to play whatever they wanted. Did right? he play any bagpipes? Yeah, he started <laughs> off with a bagpipe thing, right? And um, I'm not sure I, I got there that early that week. Uh, it was, <laughs> it was it. so good. But th- that was the thing. There was a guy um, called Steve McConnell who had a really sort of left field ambient label called Ben Becula Records right and he started with Killed by Death by Motorhead right someone else uh, started with the Blue Danube I mean it's well while we're talking music let's let's talk about what you're going to pair with this one so this is Fruit Alloy um, it is part of the it, this one is part of the sweet fruity and mellow flavour profile a couple of the tasting notes here um the panel agreed, a sublime nose, a superb collision of cough medicines and freshly muddled garden herbs. We all found all manner of things like wintergreen fennel, mango salsa, papaya, apricot, green banana, tinned pineapple and the leftovers of a big, mushy fruit salad. A fruit bomb in the truest sense. Water added mint, gum syrup orange oils, vapour rubs, copper kettles, steel wool, pine resin and engine oils. Wow, um, that's some description. Um, the nose is fruity, there's no doubt about it. It's interesting, right? Because mm. I don't know what it is, right? But I, I did try this one before and um, and I was left with a real kind of bubblegum um Oh, that's funny you say that. Sensation. A lot of these tasting notes are suggestive, obviously, and sometimes you you agree with them, sometimes you don't. Now, but you I, know wouldn't, what's, I wouldn't have said bubblegum, but, but now I'm you not said getting it. But the weird thing is, is I'm not really getting it now. I'm getting it a little bit. And my girlfriend tried it as well. I'm going in for a sip. She went in, she mentioned the bubblegum, and it's maybe when we added water, but it's um, really interesting. The nose is completely different to the taste in the front of the mouth, and it does have a kick at the back of my throat. I'm not sure about you, but swirl it a little bit if you can, because I might add some water to this. Yeah, yeah. I think it's maybe the water that that did it, and I think with some of them that the water just makes such a difference. Um, It just it can totally change the change the flavour. Well, bring out the flavour actually quite often. It, 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 for me, it's just brought out the flavour. I'm, I'm getting all the fruitiness, but I'm also getting a kind of. Yeah, was there was there a slightly metallic? Um, what did they say there? Vapor rubs, copper kettle, steel wool, engine oil. Getting a bit I'm spiky, yeah. Yeah, I'm getting a little bit of that sort of metallic engine oil kind of taste to it as well. Some people might think that sounds awful, but it's incredibly pleasant. Uh, which tune have you gone for this? Well, I went for Annie, who's a Norwegian artist, and I did a lot of work in Norway. I mean, I should maybe super fast forward in that, af- you know, when I was doing Born to Be Wide, I ended up doing working for a lot of international music industry events, and one of them was called Bilarm, and it's in Norway. And um, I've worked there for nine years, and 
I also went over a lot to Norway to DJ. Um, one of two of my mates had bars there, so they they just thought this is a good way to help me get over there, where it wasn't going to cost me, um, you know, an arm and a leg. It would just cost me an arm. Yeah. But if you were DJing, you got free beer, so that was like about the same again in terms of your fee, right? So, <laughs> right. Yeah. But that's. Um, I bet if you brought them a bottle of nice whiskey to, to oh Norway, yeah, they were incredibly, I always did, yeah. you know. So it was, you know, that was that was, uh, um, it was almost like currency. You know, you take a bottle of whiskey out, or you and you bring another one for your mates. I. Um, I discovered Annie through my trips to um, to Norway, and she worked with Richard X, who is a producer, really Zenmania, yeah. yeah. Oh, is he Zenmania as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, oh, that it's explains the, the X. Is the, it's, uh, right? Okay, so that's all the girls allowed stuff, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Um, did they? Oh no, Sugar Babe's the guy from OMD, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think but, so. But yes, uh, Xenomania is like a production house that right, does high-end pop music. That explains yeah. so much because, I mean, the Girls Allowed stuff's phenomenal as well. Well, um, this this is Annie Chewing Gum. I mean, it was released in 2004 from her debut album, which has got a great... She's called Annie. Her, al- her album was called Animal, you know, mm. <laughs> uh, which I always thought was quite good. And uh, it is kind of high-end pop music. As, oh. And the Scandinavians do that so well. And uh, this Chewing Gum... Which I suppose that's what made me think, right? Because you get these esters, and they're they're quite common. They reoccur quite a lot in certain um, in certain whiskies, certain types of whiskies. Where recently I've started to find it a bit overwhelming sometimes. Where I'm like, this is too much like chewing gum or bubble gum, you know? Um, for my, you know, I think your taste sometimes shift a little bit as well. But with Annie, there's this is unfortunately right this is the i didn't get a spotify subscription until they had various west coast american punk bands on spotify <laughs> right and um a whole lot of there was like a test where i was like i'm gonna get a spotify subscription when they get this 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 and this right when they have the circle jerks in the adolescence yes yeah there. yeah absolutely that's that was what it was that's that's what kind of tilted it right and i was but with sadly right the best version of this song is a remix by a a producer from the Isle of Skye called Milo who um, had a really successful album I think about 15 years ago called Destroy Rock and Roll. Probably around the same time as this record. Yeah, around the same time as the record. That remix is phenomenal. So you can find it on YouTube um, but you can't get it on Spotify. So this of course, the the normal version is great. So anyone checking out the playlist um, who likes the normal version, go and check out the Milo remakes. Yeah, it's amazing. yeah. Well, it's, it's it's interesting. I don't think we've ever had on Maltz and Music. I don't think we've had us anything quite so pop. But I can I can actually you know I can see this whiskey going nicely with that tune. And it is although it's a shamelessly pop piece of music, it's also beautifully produced and it's full of ideas as well the lyrics are great as well I mean the the thing is with the the lyrics for chewing gum I'm I'm quite a lyric Nazi I have to admit right so you know we 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 get I write about every two weeks I write about an emerging Scottish act for Scotland on Sunday the other week my uh, friend Derek does it and the thing is, is that if I hear really what I call rhyme crimes, it already sort of puts me off artists, right? And I think that in pop, there's a, the, I suppose people would assume that pop lyrics are always going to be really sort of, you know, 
more score door for you know you know love above you Up know high sky, sky learning yeah, to fly yeah all of that on right? my knees begging please yeah, yeah. another song that says that has that rhyming color. money and funny that's another one that I'm just like I switch off I'm like right you you know go at the bottom of the list right so the thing is when you listen to chewing gum right it's really funny she's got another song called um i know your girlfriend hates me and there's a great remix of that too i mean there's quite a few remixes i've not i, I didn't want a sort of i didn't want to use toxic by britney spears i mean you know the listeners won't know this but you and i have i've we've obviously had these drunken sort of debates about music where i'm like i'd rather listen to toxic than anything by radiohead right and um or rem for that matter um but you you listen to the lyrics of toxic listen to the lyrics for annie right they're great and yeah. it's just no one there's no rhyme crimes in there there's nothing in there that is um it's it's an original it's like a really original song right and well i suppose norway's you know almost in scotland and uh, this is a highland whiskey so um you know we can we can imagine that annie's making this music in the highlands while well you know drinking a fruit alloy um, yeah, it's it, it's a great whiskey, but I think we should move on to our last one. And I want to hear a little bit more about. We've talked about Born to Be Wide, the m- music industry networking night where people DJ and meet and and kind of you know. It's a social night. Yeah, and connect the, with each other. And basically. we we started doing panels in like 2008. There's a guy called Martin Atkins who's become a good friend of mine who I met DJing in Norway. So there's a nice link here, right? Mm-hmm. Martin came over, I was DJing, I was like, I needed a break, so he took over for half an hour. I was like, if you're ever in Edinburgh, come come and DJ at Barnaby White, you know? And mm. lo and behold, a few weeks later, he was in Scotland, and he was like, can I do a talk? Because he'd done this, written a book called Tour Smart, which is all like this really great practical advice for musicians on tour, right? And Martin, I let Martin do the talk and loads of people liked it. I was like, all right, I'm onto something here. People, it's a really hard sell getting people to speak to each other and socialize, even though, you know, I always saw myself as a bit of a kind of social lubricant and I'd introduce people and connect people, right? Um, and Martin did this talk, so we started doing talks at every Born to Be Wide, right? So we did one with, uh, we did a Norwegian one where, again, like I brought my mates over from Norway to talk about the Norwegian music scene and industry. Then we did a German one with a German consulate. And then I did, I decided to do wide days, right? And I literally, from deciding to doing it, was seven weeks, right? And right, wow. it sold out. And the whole idea with it was that I wanted to create the type of music business convention I, I would want to attend myself. So we only had seven acts on, they only played 20 minutes we put a real emphasis on hospitality and the speakers well, on yeah, the and as part, so there's music showcases there are panels and seminars and conversations networking events um, you know the the audience if you like the ticket buyers really feel part of it but you also do whiskey tasting with it as well which yeah is yeah I, I, you know and I think that that's you know that's something that I really realize people really like. I mean, my business partner and I, my business partner, Michael, who's a started out as a student um, on wide days in 2010. And three years later, we became business partners. And, you know, we host the Scottish reception at the Great Escape, which is a big um, music 
festival and industry event in Brighton. And, you know, we're, we, we started doing that in 2017 and we're like, let's, we, they showed us this picture of a cellar. It's like 400 years old. It's below the hotel. It is, you know, a smuggler cellar. It was used apparently by a king to get his mistresses up to his palace. Um, wow. You know, so they wouldn't be seen. And, and people really responded to that. And we're like, well, people are, you know, we did the guided tour, but the, the whiskey tasting was something that we added later when um, the, we wanted to do something new. And the Usher Hall, the, I spoke to someone called Victoria, I was the marketing woman at the council, and she was like, I don't know if she suggested it, I did, but anyway, it was like, I was like, did I just stand there? Can we do a whiskey tasting on the stage of the Usher Hall? And she was like, yeah, I think so. I'll check, you know. And, and so it came to pass. But, and you know, then and you started doing them at, well, The Great Escape. And I've seen you do a whiskey tasting at uh, Nouvelle, Prague. Nouvelle Prague. Look, in, I've I, got the, even still got the little booklet that they gave us, you know. Yeah, that, that was great. And then you had international, you know, promoters, band members, you know, musicians, uh, live agents, all manner of different sort of parts of the music industry all together at an international event and you are talking people through whiskey which in a weird way not only do they have a dram or two and enjoy that and learn a little bit about whiskey but they kind of by default learn a little bit about Scotland and a little bit about the Scottish music scene yeah, and yeah. so it's, 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 it's a real there's a real synergy to it you know it but seems to fit perfectly booze and music go well together and food <laughs> you know we, we also generally with in the Grayscape we also serve haggis vegan haggis Chips. I bring down some chippy sauce uh, from what was Rapido. It's not called that anymore um, on Broughton Street and deep fried Mars bars. And I, I hate to admit it, right? But the deep fried Mars bars are as big a draw as like the whiskey tasting. Yeah. Right? And the, um, Do you know what I'm going to admit as well? Until I went to one of your events, I'd never had a deep fried Mars bar. I thought it was the most repulsive idea going. And I thought it was a real touristy thing and so on and so on. I tried one, and even though you're probably having your entire calories for the day in one mouthful, they taste pretty good, they're right? They're good, yeah. Because you get that saltiness, you know, it's the flavor mix. Because I've not got a sweet tooth, right? But it's like the sweet combined with salty or sweet combined with spicy. That's a different matter. Well, do you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm doing my radio Oh, uh, yeah, if you hadn't done here. it, I would have, yeah. It's... Do you know what? We're going to go into our last dram of this episode of Malts and Music, and this might go quite well with a deep fried Mars bar. I don't know. I mean, maybe that's another that's another concept for a podcast. What which whiskies go well with deep fried Mars bars? Anyway, we're on to Midsummer Night's Dream, which is part of the dip, deep, rich, and dried fruits flavor profile. Here are some a um, couple of tasting notes for you. This was dark, mysterious, and outright scary. Banana mummified in a sarcophagus wrapped in linen with the ritual of embalming papyrus with figs, dates and cloves as grave goods. How good is that? That sounds brilliant. Uh, very smooth, very sweet and very spicy. Maybe like a nocino de noix uh, uh, or a nocino de noix. I'm not sure how you say that actually. A fortified wine with green unripe walnuts picked before the 24th of June. Known as the Celebration ah, right. of Midsummer Here's Night. Here's the other thing with when I showed my girlfriend these tasting notes, right? She was like, not only has she got the best um, palette, right? 
But she also pointed out that midsummer is the 21st of June, yeah. And what did they say? 24th. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Well, just that hasn't it. stopped it selling out because I try to get a bottle of it and uh, it's gone completely, right. you know. Um, but yeah, point of order. And I, of, this, of, is a, this is a Speyside, uh, a famous distillery as well, which I'm sure people can go and discover. It is 63.3%. And it is, it's my favorite. It's, yeah. this, is, this is delicious. So we've had the Soup Dragons, we've had uh, the Upsetters, Return of Django, we've had Annie and Chewing Gum. What is your fourth and final pairing with this Midsummer Night's Dream? I absolutely love this one, right? It's rich, it's, um, you, can taste the, you can taste the sherry in there, it, it stays, it leaves you with a, you can still taste it afterwards, but it's that sort of, it, you want to carry around that taste for as long as you can and look at the color of it you know oh yeah it's the i mean i feel fight. a bit like that you know that bit in spinal tap where he's like looking at the guitars and stuff and it's like can you hear it yeah you, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it is i mean if there was a dram to uh, outline this flavor profile deep rich and dried fruits it's got to be this because just look at that it's it's a, a sort of treacly you know lovely rich color the colors come from you know there's different things that influence it look at you you've got you've got a little sip in each one I've yeah yeah I mean it was like um, you're <laughs> sorry I've got that. you can have some I, of mine there's a running theme I, I, to these podcasts and it's that I always finish the whiskey yeah. yeah but the thing is is that you you know you, you're seasoned at this right so whereas if, if I end up getting too pissed I, I'll forget what I want to say right fair, and enough, I, fair enough I've been really excited about doing this right so this is first fill, right? So when you first fill Oloroso, right? So that means that you're going to get more color from it, right? And the other ones, if it's a refill or it's, you know, you're not. And it's also, if you go to some distilleries, they actually show you different examples with the color, where what type of cast they've been in first fill, second fill, and, you know, um, whether it was a bourbon or a sherry. And... This this is what I like about it so much because you see that contrast. So it's already that that gets me excited. Now some distilleries cheat; they put caramel in. They never tell you that. Someone told me that in confidence, right? But not about their own distillery. Obviously, if you go abroad and you buy whiskies, often they're legally required to mention it. But that whole thing about oh yeah, it's just malted barley whiskey water and yeast it's like yeah bollocks you put caramel in that and I've, I can see it on your I can see it when I bought one in the duty free but I think that this is the beauty of this there's you know there's no reason for them to put caramel in this because it's uh, it's just for the society it's a first fill um, yeah. Oloroso and you you know it's it's great well so, and the nose is utterly amazing but it's 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 the most potent nose of the four drams we've had today. But to me, it has a saltiness as well as the, mm. the sort of dried fruits. Um, it's got so much going on. It's you, I mean, it smells like it, it's it's like a, a Christmas pudding, but with this kind of slightly well salted caramel. Very trendy at the moment. Everything's salted. Yeah, caramel. yeah. Uh, but I, I'm a fan of salted caramel, and it has a, to me it has a salted caramel kind of nose. But I'm going in for a sip. And. Um, you know, I picked a piece of music for this, um, which is, it, it, so it, I think the song's six minutes, it's got, it really envelops you. You know, when I, I first heard this, um, 
I just I, it was it was a while back, so it was on my iPod, right? Um, I found it on eMusic. Um, I think it was Justin Curry that was talking about how he had this eMusic subscription, and I, it really, you know, I was listening to it in my kitchen when you you did the podcast with him. And it really brought a smile on my face. I was like, oh, yeah, I had exactly the same thing, you know. And I had to, I mean, I didn't have the mega subscription, but even finding 20 tracks, it really is download subscription. You downloaded 20 tracks, all independently released, right? So it was quite left field stuff, and I discovered so much amazing music. But this particular track um, is by a duo called Plastilina Mosh, who were two young guys uh, when I met them from Monterrey in the north of Mexico I, I lived in Mexico City for a while um, that's it you, you mentioned your tour guiding and, and so on but you, you've um, you know you've, you've, you've got quite an international profile as well you've lived in Germany and you're fluent in German your, your mother's German um, and you're also fluent in Mexican Spanish as well yes yes with a bit of a Scottish accent, but like I <laughs> went they, over. Do they pick that up? They, well, it's funny. The thing is, they, they because I speak. Como te llamas, pal? It's like because <laughs> I speak total Mexico City slang, right? Um, I went over there speaking Spanish like a Spaniard, and within a month, I, I had to drop that and just adapt. But I had like really good teachers, and um, I went to a, a market to get some music where they just cha- people exchange bootleg tapes, and it's like made pals with a couple of punks there and they you know they're still friends with them now you know and this was in 1990 and so the the thing is is that I've got this Mexican Spanish that you know these guys taught me or are just listening to them and and I I moved back there I was there as an exchange student I moved back there and wrote the first article in the world about um Mexico City's club scene and for DJ magazine in the mid nineties and you know well I'm, yeah and Mexico City's hip now isn't it oh uh, absolutely it's I'm one uh, of the hippest cities in the world and yet it's it until fairly recently was probably not seen as that kind of it was probably seen as yeah. quite a dangerous place yeah, yeah and I mean the thing is is that I've never the worst that's happened to me is I got pickpocketed you know but it's um, out of all the times I've been there, that's pretty decent. You know, I've been robbed off a video camera in Barcelona. I think far more likely to get ripped off. I've been Barcelona. to Mexico City a few times. I'm lucky to have been there, and it has a strange sort of aura to it because, you know, it was it was initially built on waterways, and then the waterways were drained. And so it has this kind of humid, murky feel to it. Um, it's in amazing. It's, it's one of my favorite place. places in the world. I mean, yeah. like Mexico City is like a home for from home for me. And you know, in the nineties when I was there, I met these uh, guys, Plastilina Mosh, and found this track um, on eMusic, and it's them teaming up with an Argentinian um, f- singer from a band called Babasonico, and it's just it's just this kind of really sleazy um I, sleazy my, I speak a bit of Spanish but my Spanish wasn't good to, enough to understand just, exactly what the person was saying hilarious. probably for the better maybe by I mean it's not like it's not a sort of thing that necessarily means that you wouldn't get played on the radio but it's just it's just got Serge Gansburg style yeah it's, yeah it's got this but it's got this groove and it but what I love about it is it just kind of 
it envelops you and that's what this the taste of this does it it lingers it's you know I, I had to keep listening to it because I on repeat it's rare for me to do that but occasionally a song will do that and it just it just hooks me and and I um, and I love that I love this whiskey for that I'm actually doing an online event um, soon I don't know when this goes out but it'll be either you know if it goes out after the 26th of April then hopefully I'll have done the event by then yeah, it will be been a yeah. massive success but you know the thing is is that it's I've done doing this with Wales so Y Days has a partnership with a, an event called Focus Wales so there's 15 Scottish uh, music professionals 15 Welsh and 30 Mexicans and I'm doing it with in partnership with La Roma Records which is an amazing record shop in Mexico City um, you know you've been there you I've know. bought loads of records from that shop in Mexico and, City yeah and it's he's, exciting my friend Cesar's also got a label and um, so we're you know it's that thing of what I love about you know those connections you make in life and these friendships that you build everywhere that then you suddenly find yourself in a situation where you can bring all that together and it's the whole idea, you know, the whole idea, and the whole thing around why we started Born Be Wide was to bring people together, and we do that with Wide Days as well. It's like we we generally kind of invite people we like to come and speak. Yeah, well, you know? I think that's what maybe puts Wide Days and Born to Be Wide aside from other uh, you know conferences and industry events is that people are really welcome, and there's a sense of community and friendship and sort of. You know, love and fun to it rather than just making money. Um, I mean, Mexico, Wales, and Scotland coming together, you know, the music industries of those countries and sharing ideas and hopefully turning each other on to new music is great. But the power of the internet, let's let's say that as well. The fact that you can do that, they'll be in Mexico, people will be in Wales, and people will be in Scotland all together communing online, which is great. And um, I mean, this particular track. Uh, Plastelina Mosh is the band Paso Fino is the track a Mexican duo loved by Beck Beck championed them he actually invested money in them which is really interesting and they were continually compared to the Beastie Boys as well even though they're quite different stylistically I think it was maybe the idea of what they were doing bringing all these ideas into their music well there was a a band from the same time called Control Machete who you might know from the Amores Peros soundtrack All right. and um, the Si Senor is, is one of the main tracks on that soundtrack um, they were actually produced by I think the Beastie Boys engineer so it's, it's they're much more in that Beastie Boys um, Cypress Hill vibe but okay. they're, they're also amazing by the way like you should yeah, check yeah, them no, out I will. I mean, um, the song is, as you say, kind of rich. It goes perfectly with this dram. I mean, you occasionally do tour guiding, not so much in Mexico, obviously, but around Scotland. And you, you go occasionally to uh, distilleries as well, don't you? Yeah, I mean... Without naming them specifically, it must well, be quite... Well, I a- mean, I think that the thing is, is that, you know, I'm sure it's okay to name distilleries. The main thing is, is that, you know, these numbers that we've got for the um, for the distilleries, I mean... Everyone in the know knows that if you look online, you can find out which number corresponds yes, yeah. to the distillery. But with it, you know, I, I totally respect the reason that the society doesn't publish them. There's a really good reason is that distilleries will release a, an amazing cask, um, which um, they don't doesn't necessarily conform to their flavor profile. So they don't want people sort of um, associating them with something different. But 
you know, distilleries, individual distilleries, I mean, they're, I, I've been really lucky in that I, with my guiding work, I get to go to distilleries and have tours, right? And honestly, every time I go, I learn something new. Every, this is what I love about whiskey is that, you know, there's, it's, it's limitless. You, you never stop learning. And that's, I kind of like that with doing panels and hosting talks and, you know, putting together music industry events. I, I've never gone to a panel where I didn't learn something new. Um, well, doing these podcasts and you know further immersing myself in the Scotch Malt Whiskey Society, I'm learning. Even even chatting to you, Olaf, I'm learning things. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've learned loads of stuff just from this podcast, and, and my journey, my whiskey journey, continues. And with every step, I sort of feel more enriched. You know, I learn more. I obviously taste loads of delicious whiskies, but I learn more about life. I think that combination as well is it, it is so. You know, for me, the I I really despise this speculation with whiskey. Right, it really really pisses me off. Right, I'm, I'm gonna say that, and I think that one of the really upsetting things about whiskey suddenly getting this massive pop I love the fact that more people are being turned on to whiskey I don't love the fact that you suddenly can't get something that was really nice because it's you know you 10,000 pounds a bottle yeah well you can't guy the McCallum that I grew up with that you know where everyone they, you'd say that people have their if they had two bottles of malt whiskey they'd have their favorite whiskey and the the regular McCallum right um you can't get that here anymore. That's, you know, that to me is, um, it's, a, it's a real shame. It's like that thing where, you know, you see it on investment websites. And, oh, right, yes. Yeah. So I, I, often, I often ask the guests or, or try and allude to it in some way, is whiskey a, a kind of, a, is it about the social aspect of it? It's obviously about the taste of the delicious liquor, but I mean, is it a social thing or is it a status thing? Is it, well, you know, you know, I, I, get, I get the imp impression that you are like no the status thinking. I bought the last two bottles off that um, that amazing whiskey that the society had right, and I bought one for me and one for a friend of mine who had a bar in Oslo. Now he made the mistake of saying that he didn't think any whiskey under a hundred pounds was worth drinking. He was just basically being a poser, being a snob. So yeah. at that point, I was like, right, well then you won't be having that one that cost me sixty-two quid, right? I'm so glad I kept it. I've shared that whiskey with more people than I, I can count, right? Because I'm like, you like peaty whiskey. This is the best whiskey I've ever had, right? Um, if I'd kept it to myself, what's the point of that? I can share a magic. I can share this incredible taste that they're not going to get anywhere else unless they're lucky enough to have had one of the, you know, whatever, two or three, four hundred bottles that were we're done and they know someone that has it and that to me is the it's like music if you if you're into something you want to be able to share it right um you're what's the point of it otherwise and and i think this is what's really um this is what's really interesting because when you find someone that likes it as much as you do it, it's a wonderful feeling you know when you turn someone on a piece of music that you know, some folk, eh, it's not my cup of tea or I don't like that sort of music. It's like, fine, well, it's wasted on you then. But you find the person that does and it's like, it's a connection, you know? And that's the that's the whole thing around both music and whiskey. It's about that, that connection. It's like, you know, one of the things that I, I forgot to mention, I just have to put it in here, is that 
getting people onto the stage of the Usher Hall. Andrew Usher was a distiller. He's a pioneering distiller. That was built with whiskey money, right? And ironically enough, for the first few years it was open, it was dry. They weren't allowed to sell alcohol. In but, the Usher Hall. Yeah, and as far as I know, I hosted the first whiskey tasting on the stage of the Usher Hall. And that is, I'm so proud of that. I mean, it's such a great thing. And... um but again, it's like I did it with like 30 people that basically got to, you know, I could connect them with the venue. The last time I'd done it twice, the last time I did it, um, the James Bruce who books all the um, books, all the council venues in Edinburgh, he he did a tour as well. So there's that added thing. But at each point, what you're doing is you're you're bringing people together and you're you're sharing something amazing. Well, that seems like the perfect way to end the podcast. Olaf Bernis, um, good luck with Y Days. Thanks for chatting to me. Um, we've heard the Soup Dragons, we've heard uh, the Upsetters, we've heard Annie, and we've heard Plastilina Mosh, um, and we've drank some great whiskey. It's an absolute pleasure. Thanks One for- last thing: nineteenth to the twenty-first of May. If it goes out before then. All our live shows are open to the public. There's some amazing music. We've got, um, we've got. And last night is a festival takeover from the Breakout West Festival in Canada, so you can come and check out some. So people, so people who are just in Edinburgh can come along to the festival. Yeah, just go on free of charge. Yeah, you just have to sign up. So okay. uh, widedays.com and um, man, I hope we can get another one. I know this is sold out but hopefully they've still got a bit uh, well, I've, I've already tanned mine <laughs> oh, man I'm just this could possibly be the very last uh, last one of it so I better uh, well do it with spin. an empty glass slange slange thanks very much Vic cheers Olaf cheers <laughs> Olaf